0: Hello everybody, I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. I am happy that you found me, but more importantly, I'm thrilled that you have found Jesus. Friends, there is power in the name of Jesus. As we journey together, we'll be unleashing discoveries of how to turn hearts of stone into ones of moldable clay for the potter Jesus to transform. Hopefully, you'll join me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. And periodically, friends, we'll delve into my mailbag answering questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. And as we enter into God's presence today, allow me to speak a blessing over your life. This comes from Moses' brother, Priest Aaron, and he gave us this benediction. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Well today we're going to continue on in our spiritual warfare discussion and The mission or goal of the Grace and Peace of God Love Ones podcast is to educate with the truth of Jesus using God's word. So today is no different. Our current pulse has to be monitored for what we can believe in our world. And yesterday we looked at being in the world, but not of it. We learned that as believers, we are all a part of God's Christian army and God has a very real enemy satan which this makes him an enemy for us as well now this has ruffled some feathers on social media people have wrongly professed that the liar satan is not real friends don't be fooled this is precisely what he wants you to think take a look with me at what the biblical evidence tells us in second corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 Satan, the God small g of this evil world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, so they're unable to see the glorious light of the good news that is shining upon them. Meaning, they can't see the gospel. They don't under the understand the message we preach about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Remember that Jesus is the visible manifestation of the invisible God who is spirit. Allow this scripture verse to take root in your spirit. This is telling us that the good news or the gospel is revealed to everyone except to those who refuse to believe. His work is to deceive and he's blinded those who do not believe in Jesus. Paul goes on to tell the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15, but I'm not surprised. Even Satan can disguise himself as the angel of light. So it's no wonder his servants can also do it by pretending to be godly ministers. In the end, they will get every bit of punishment their wicked deeds deserve. And in one Jewish writing, The Apocalypse of Moses, it says that the story of Eve's temptation includes Satan masquerading as an angel. And Paul may have been thinking of this story or he may have been referring to Satan's typical devices. In either case, nothing is more deceitful than Satan, the prince of darkness, disguising himself as an angel of light. In the same way, these false apostles were pretending to be apostles of Christ, while in reality, they were agents of Satan. And Satan and his servants can deceive us by appearing to be attractive, good, and moral. And many unsuspecting people follow smooth-talking, Bible-quoting leaders into cults that alienate them from their families and lead them into the practice of immorality and deceit. We cannot be fooled by external appearances. Our impressions alone are not an accurate indicator of who is or who isn't a true follower of Christ. We have to ask ourselves questions, and here are three helpful questions that are going to aid in discernment. If you'll begin to practice these. Number one, do the teachings being professed confirm scripture? Do your due diligence become like the people in Berea? We learn about them in the book of Acts chapter 17 verses 10 through 11. And that confirms the very night the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the synagogue and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to check up on Paul and Silas to see if they really were telling the truth. Question number two Does the teacher affirm and proclaim that Jesus is God, who came into the world as a man to save people from their sins? Well, 1 John chapter 4 verses 1 through 3, John warns us by saying, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is the way to find out if they have the Spirit of God. If a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ became a human being, that person has the Spirit of God. If a prophet does not acknowledge Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist. You've heard that he is going to come into the world and he's already here. So what was John cautioning, cautioning us about? He's telling us to not believe everything we hear just because someone says it's a message from God. There are many ways to test teachers to see if their words match what God says in the Bible, are they committed to the body of believers and is their life producing good fruit? And then finally, the third question, are the teacher's lifestyles consistent with biblical morality, meaning what we say reveals what's in our heart. What kinds of words come from our mouths? This is an indication of our heart attitudes. While we can clean up our speech, this won't solve our heart problem. We must allow the Holy Spirit to fill us with new attitudes and motives. Then our speech will be cleansed at its source. But remember, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 reminds us to guard our heart, for it affects everything we do. And others' translations say to guard our heart, for out of it is, uh, spring forth the issues of life. So now you know that God has an army, but would you be surprised to learn that Satan, the mimic, has a church his own religion, his own gospel, his own ministers, his own doctrine, and his own communion table and cup? Yep, that's right, he does. We'll journey with me through scripture where all of this is revealed. We already began with Satan being identified as the God of this age in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Again, that's a small g for God, not like our Savior God, who's a capital G. It's in Revelation chapter 2 verse 9 where John provides us with evidence that Satan has a church. John's quoting Jesus who writes to the church of Smyrna saying, I know your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they really aren't because theirs is a synagogue of Satan. And the synagogue of Satan means the Jews were serving Satan's purposes, not God's when they gathered there to worship. Again, that's Revelation chapter 2 verse 9. Additionally, John quotes Jesus again with what he said to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. First, he shows his authority by stating in Revelation chapter 3 verse 7, this is the message from the one who is holy and true. He's the one who has the key of David. He opens doors and no one can shut them. He shuts doors and no one can open them. In verse 9, he confirms again Satan's church by saying, Look, I will force those who belong to Satan, those liars who say they're Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge you are the ones I love. And what about Satan's counterfeit gospel? Well, we're told in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 by Paul, let God's curse fall on anyone, including myself, who preaches any other message than the one we told you about. Even if an angel comes from heaven and preaches any other message, let him be forever cursed. Friends, we are not to tamper with the word of God. This is exactly what Satan has done. In the wilderness experience and temptation, Satan used scripture to try and convince Jesus to sin. When Bible verses are used that seem to support a viewpoint that we know is wrong, you must look at the broader context of specific verses so that we can understand God's principles for living and what he wants for our lives. It's only when we understand what the whole Bible says that we are able to recognize errors of interpretation when people take verses out of context and twist them to say what they want them to say. And earlier we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 15 which tells us Satan has servants who pretend to be godly ministers. And that brings us to false doctrine. First Timothy chapter four, verse one says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from what we believe. They will follow lying spirits and teachings that come from demons. If you're asking what Timothy meant by these last times, he was meaning post-resurrection. These times will continue up until Jesus returns, setting up his kingdom and judging all of humanity. False teachers were, and still are, a threat to the church. Jesus and the apostles repeatedly warned against them. It's not enough that a teacher appears to know what he's talking about, is disciplined and moral, or says that he's speaking for God. If his words contradict the Bible, his teaching is false. And lastly, what about Satan's table and cup? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 21 and 22. Again, Paul warns us about idolatry. First, his argument for Christ says in verses 16 through 18, when we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the benefits of the body of Christ? And when we break the loaf of bread, aren't we sharing in the benefits of the body of Christ? And we all eat from one loaf showing that we are one body and think about the nation of israel all who eat the sacrifices are united by that act But then we get to verses 21 and 22, and it says you cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. The idea of unity and fellowship with God through eating a sacrifice was strong in Judaism and Christianity as well as in paganism. In Old Testament days, when a Jew offered a sacrifice, he ate a part of that sacrifice as a way of restoring his unity with God against whom he had sinned. Similarly, as Christians, we participate in Christ's once-for-all sacrifice at the Lord's table. When we eat the bread and drink from the cup, symbolizing his body and blood, and recent converts from paganism could not help being affected if they knowingly ate with pagans in their feasts and meat offered to idols. So as followers of Jesus, we must give him our total and full allegiance. As Paul said, we cannot have a part in the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Eating at the Lord's table means communing with Jesus and identifying with his death. Drinking from the cup of demons means identifying with Satan by worshiping or promoting pagan or evil activities. We cannot follow the crowd of this world and serve Jesus. So now, friends, today, if you want to become a child of God spending eternity in heaven, not elsewhere, I invite you to pray this prayer of invitation to our Lord Jesus Christ. And repeat after me, Father God, I repent and turn away from my sins. Come into my heart. Jesus is shed blood, washed clean all who believe he took on the sins of humanity at the cross of calvary amen and friends if you prayed that prayer of salvation i believe you were saved and born again spiritually your next step is to read god's word daily so he can guide direct and reveal himself to you and consider growing in a good bible-based church surrounding yourself with other believers And now let me be the first person to congratulate you on making the most important decision of your lifetime. Congratulations, and God bless you. And until next time, remember you've been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus forever. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Until next time, friends, God bless you.